It is good to be in the Lord's house. Just a reminder, we are not passing the offering plate, but uh, there is a box out there in the foyer, and so you can put your tithes and missions giving in that box uh, before you leave. And uh, we do um, appreciate your faithful giving. Things have been uh, going well in that regard, and so we appreciate your faithfulness. And uh, not only we appreciate it, but the Lord appreciates your faithfulness to Him, because that's the most important thing. Uh, in all of our giving. Well, we have a uh, birthday that we'd like to uh, acknowledge here today, Brother Terry TV Paw. Uh, we've got a birthday card for you here, brother, and it seems a little bit thick. Seems like there's something rigid inside of this, so I know you'll want to come up here and uh, bear your shame and reproach and uh, receive your gift. You don't, oh, don't have to go on. <laughs> well, is it, is it cold up here on the platform? <laughs> Anyhow, <laughs> no, you don't. <laughs> All right. How old are you, brother? Uh, well, I'm, I'm still one year less than I'll be in a few days. So. All right. Why did I, why did I expect that I wouldn't get a straight answer? <laughs> Anyhow, Anyhow, brother, we appreciate you and we love you. Uh, Brother Terry's a good assistant here at the church, and uh, we just wanted to acknowledge him. Give him a big hand here. All right. Appreciate you, brother. Seventy-one. Thank you, Brother James. <laughs> oh, my goodness. Isn't it great to be in the Lord's house today? <laughs> well, you know, um, I'm sure that most of you probably experienced the same thing that I did just a little bit after 8 o'clock this morning. I'm sitting at the kitchen table, and all of a sudden the house just briefly started shaking. And when my first reaction was, what is my wife doing? <laughs> but then I thought, no, the, the whole house was shaking. I mean, I know she can, she can get upset, but <laughs> it's like... Not, not enough to hopefully shake the whole house, but it just happened. It's like, whoa, what was that? And so uh, first thing I did is I contacted a couple of people here in the church and said, did, did your house shake? Yeah. And uh, lo and behold, a five-point-something earthquake centered in Sparta, not far from here. Sparta is, what, hour, hour and 15 minutes at the most from us? And so uh, not a big earthquake, and uh, hopefully the aftershocks... Uh, if they, if we have aftershocks, hopefully they won't be any worse than that. But uh, did anybody have it knock anything off of their walls at all? Yeah, I didn't. I didn't think it was enough to to do that. I noticed um, that one of my pictures in my shop was moved a little bit, but it was one of those pictures where it doesn't take much to get it. Uh, and I hate crooked pictures, don't you? How many of you are OCD when it comes to crooked pictures? God bless all of y'all. We have some righteous, intelligent people in this congregation. But uh, anyhow, that's the only thing that I noticed. But you know what? Uh, it's not common to get earthquakes in our area, isn't it? Not, not that big, and certainly uh, it took me by surprise. And I know um, that one of the brothers that I talked to this morning, the first thing that that we thought about was, well, this must be a diverse place. Amen? And, you know, we've been really seeing a lot of things in modern culture today that uh, really lines up with the perilous times that the Apostle Paul describes. I mean, really, 
When you read about those perilous times that Paul told Timothy about, it's really a commentary on modern culture. So none of the things that are going on are um, are extremely, certainly not shocking and uh, surprising. But I, I would, before we get into the message this morning, I want to give a um, give a little pastoral admonition. And so go to Matthew chapter twenty four, Matthew twenty four. And um, I'm just going to give you a couple verses and um, just a little bit of pastoral admonition, and then we'll get into our regularly scheduled program here this morning. (laughs) Matthew 24, the context is the tribulation period, and the disciples have asked Jesus about um, about the end of times, basically, this when is the end of the world, so to speak. Verse number three makes that clear. And so Matthew 24 is Jesus answering their question about the end times. Now, we know that the end times that he's referring to, uh, particularly in Matthew 24, are speaking of a great tribulation period that will come to this earth. And something that he says we find here in verse number, uh, excuse me, verse number 7 where he says that nation shall rise against nation and kingdom against kingdom, and there shall be famines and pestilences. We know a little bit about at least some mild pestilence today. I'm not saying that COVID isn't something that needs to be taken seriously, but certainly compared to some of the pestilences that cultures have known throughout human history, we're not there yet as far as it being just a uh, the, the threat that other diseases have been. But certainly we could classify it as a pestilence. And then notice it says in earthquakes in divers places. Divers places meaning diverse and just different places. And, you know, you're going to find, I believe, as the day approaches, we're not in the tribulation period yet, but I don't believe that the tribulation, everything that goes on in that tribulation period is just going to come surprisingly out of the blue. I believe that we're going to start seeing things happening that lead up to that. And one of the things that Jesus made clear is that we're going to see some earthquakes happening in places that really you wouldn't expect to uh, experience an earthquake. And if that is true, and, and listen, I, am, I don't believe in shock and awe prophecy to try to manipulate or motivate people to do what you want them to do. I've heard a lot of preaching in my time that is nothing more than just emotional manipulation. Get people worrying about some prophecy and make some bold prediction and even show it to them out of the Bible and then they'll do what you want them to do and mission accomplished. I don't believe in all of that. I believe that we give people the truth of God's word and then your responsibility is to hear it and understand it, and then do something about it by the help of the Holy Spirit. And that's the way that God works. But if this is, and I don't know, many people are saying, oh, we're we're getting at the last days. All of the things that are going around um, in our culture and in our generation are certainly signs of the times. Well, if that's true, then I'd like for you to go to the book of Hebrews chapter number 10. Hebrews chapter number 10. Now, as I mentioned, this is a pastoral admonition. And uh, I mentioned to the men last night, and uh, I mentioned just a little while ago, that the 
the COVID-19 numbers in our county seem to be heading in the right direction. And I praise the Lord for that for a number of reasons. Uh, first of all, I don't want to get sick and I don't want you to get sick. And I know I've got a sister and a niece and a brother-in-law and not sure who else in my family that have went through this sickness. And I can tell you, it's not, it's not a, it's not something that you want to get. And, uh, just, uh, there was a funeral just a few days ago of a very well-known preacher who, uh, ended up dying as a result of COVID-19. And I know that many of the congregations and gatherings where people aren't taking it seriously, I, I'm, I'm watching and observing, and this is what I've been doing from day one, and I'm seeing that there is a common denominator that a lot of people are getting sick in places where they really have just haven't taken it seriously at all. And so certainly there's, um, there's some wisdom behind uh, being careful and responsible when there are viruses floating around. But notice in Hebrews chapter 10 and verse number 25, it says, "...not forsaking the assembling of ourselves together as the manner of some is, but exhorting one another, and so much the more as ye see the day approaching." Now, I'm not trying to send mixed signals, because I have said from day one with the coronavirus pandemic situation, circumstance, whatever you want to label it, I've said from day one that if you are uncomfortable for health reasons, and especially those that have, and and a lot of what I'm saying is directed at our live stream audience this morning, but if you have uh, certain health conditions that would put you at high risk, and or if you are uncomfortable, then please stay home. I don't have any desire to twist somebody's arm to come to a gathering because I don't want to be responsible for opening the doors and then you getting sick. But I want to say this, that the admonition, as we see the day approaching, God says that we're supposed to be more mindful of assembling ourselves together. And so I I am sure, and, and I, listen, I'm not picking on anyone. This isn't based on any information I'm privy to. This is a blanket generic statement. But I am sure that there are probably people that are staying home, not coming to the house of God, and they're using the coronavirus as an excuse to be lazy or whatever the motive is. Maybe it's apathetic. They just really don't care about going to church. And so here's my, here's a good excuse to where I can, I don't have to go to church and I can get away with it. Well, listen, if you only care about what people think of you, then that's certainly not a very good motive to be at church to begin with. But if you are doing other things, social gatherings, birthday parties, different get-togethers or different things that you are doing that is no more risky than coming to an auditorium where obviously you can see there is social distancing, many people are wearing masks. Look, if you're doing other things, don't think that God's going to buy it when you say, well, I didn't go to church because of the coronavirus. Be consistent and don't use this as an excuse, because God knows that. If there are other things, like 
I mean, to, to be honest with you, there are people who work jobs that the job that they work puts them at way more risk than coming to church. And so you need to weigh those risks. And um, if you're concerned about it, then come to church and wear your mask. I, I'm, I'm pretty certain that if you practice social distancing and you wear a mask, then you, can, you, can, you don't have to forsake the assembling of yourself together. And so I wanted to make sure that I threw that out there so that we have a balanced approach and that we understand what the Word of God says. Once again, this is not me manipulating you to try to get you into church. I care about your spiritual well-being. And I happen to know that just hearing preaching is not enough. There is something about the assembling of ourselves together that recharges our spiritual battery and we draw strength from it. So that is the reason behind it. I care about you. I'm not trying to make anybody feel bad, but don't be inconsistent. Being in the house of God is extremely important. And in these days of coronavirus, don't let all of the stuff going on, whether it's gatherings or vacations or whatever, don't let it take you away from the importance of assembling ourselves together. And that's not my opinion, that's the King James Bible, folks. All right, so there's my first study. Let's take our Bibles now and go to 2 Timothy chapter number 2. We've been building a foundation on rightly dividing the word of truth. I'm not going to take time for a bunch of review here this morning, but um, We've been building a foundation. I've built several houses. And the first thing that you do is you build a foundation. And that doesn't, you don't just go out and just, you have to dig down below the frost line and you have to get down to some solid ground. And then uh, typically you set up some forms and then you pour some concrete. And then out here you build cinder blocks on top of that. Out west for the most part, you didn't see cinder blocks. They would set up forms and then they'd pour concrete and make a stem wall uh, for that foundation out of concrete. And, you know, regardless of whether it's a slab or whether there's footings and pylons, you've got to have a solid foundation. But the next step in building a building is you had to go in and you had to start framing the floor. And uh, what that entailed is you'd put some joists that would span across that foundation if you had a crawl space. Uh, you would start uh, uh, putting down that decking. Uh, I built a, the last couple houses that I built, I used a floor system that was not like anything that I've seen around here. Uh, the floor joists were spaced um, way further apart than what you'd normally see around here, but the decking the plywood, if you will, that went on top of those floor joists was one and one-eighth inch. And it was like this compressed chipboard, and it was dense, it was tongue and groove, and it was heavy, and literally, for at least for me, a guy that doesn't build houses every day, I'd pick up a sheet of that four-by-eight uh, sheeting, and it would be so heavy, you just felt like your spine was getting ready to snap. Now, it didn't, praise the Lord, but it felt like it. And a couple days into it, though, it started not feeling quite so bad. I guess you started getting those muscles stronger around the spine. But anyhow, you had to put that flooring in, 
And that's what we're doing here today. We're not ready to build walls. I've been talking to you a lot about uh, Israel and the church, and we are certainly going to be delving into that here this morning, but we're not going to get all the way there. And so we're going to do a little bit of uh, flooring on top of the foundation that we've already built. Second Timothy chapter 2, verse number 15. Uh, I'm going to do my best to quote it while you read it. The Bible says, study to show thyself approved unto God, a workman that needeth not to be ashamed, rightly dividing the word of truth. Let's go to the Lord in prayer. Father, it's good to be saved. It's good to be in your house today. Thank you for these that are in your house today that have gathered. And Father, we, we also, we do thank you for the live stream listeners. We certainly don't want to diminish that. But God, you know our hearts desire that uh, the best for your people, God, that uh, as a church that we be spiritually strong. Uh, Father, we don't want to just go through the motions. We don't want to just check a uh, check our box that we came to church. But Father, we want to thrive spiritually. We want to be strong in the Lord and live righteous lives. And Father, I pray that you would help us regardless of our circumstances, God, and just bless each and every one that's listening today. Uh, even those that would listen at a later time, we pray a special blessing upon them. Lord, we're going to be studying your word today, and that's a great privilege. And I pray that you'd help me to uh, communicate clearly and concisely, and Father, to teach this truth, um, Lord, as a faithful pastor and a faithful steward of the mysteries of God. Bless us, we pray in Jesus' name. Amen. Rightly dividing the word of truth. We're going to pick up where we left off last week. I just gave you a little bit of a sneak peek, but uh, number four, point number four is divide according to classification of people. The scripture gives us three specific classifications of people. Now, in modern culture today, a lot is said about racial tension and different ethnicities and so forth. In the scripture, God doesn't do a lot to extinguish the difference between ethnicities. What he does is he says there are three categories of people on planet earth, and this has been for thousands of years, there is 1 Corinthians 10.32, where Paul says, Give none offense, neither to the Jews, nor to the Gentiles, nor to the church of God. As we said last week, the church of God is with a small c because it's not a title. We're talking about the church, which means a congregation or an assembly. And when it says the church of God, it's talking about the, the assembly or the people that gather together that are of God. It's a descriptive term, not a label. If you are saved, then the moment you got born again, you got placed into the church, the family of God. That is not a local church like what we see here, but that is a universal church, if you will. I'm not afraid of that term because that's another descriptive term. Everyone, everywhere, ever since the cross that got born again, got placed into the body of Christ, 1 Corinthians 10, 13. They didn't get placed in there by baptism, they got placed in there by the Spirit of God. And 1 Corinthians 10, 13 makes that extremely clear. And so, uh, if you're saved, you're part of that church. Uh, 
It doesn't matter whether you are a Hebrew, a descendant of Abraham, or if you are any other ethnicity, being saved makes us part of that third category of people, which is the church of God. Now, the cross, don't you love the cross? Aren't you thankful for the cross? I, I was in here, we've been having our men's prayer meeting in the, um, in the chapel. And so because of that, we're, we're trying to save cleaning. And so we stopped having it in here so that it wouldn't have to be cleaned and disinfected uh, late Saturday night before Sunday morning. But what I do is I take pastoral privilege and I come into the auditorium. And uh, I'm the only one in here. The lights are off. It's just me and God. And uh, me and God have some good times together. You ever have some good times with God? I'm walking up and down here, and I'm thinking about the service today, and I got to thinking about the cross. And I started thanking God for the cross. Lord, thank you for the cross and for the blood that you shed upon it. And I started thanking God for my salvation. Hey, thank God for the cross. But when it comes to rightly dividing the word of truth, I've got to say that the cross created a lot of doctrinal and practical controversy among the early Jewish believers. Now you're going to see here, we're going to spend a lot of time in the scripture this morning, you're going to see that that statement is easy to back up. There was a lot of controversy that started from the cross. And so let's take some highlights from history. The book of Acts is a book of church history. It's not necessarily written as a doctrinal thesis or a doctrinal document. It is explaining the history of what transpired from the time of the cross till we get to the end of the Apostle Paul's life and ministry. And so let's take a look at some highlights. Uh, Last week, if you'll recall, go ahead and turn to Acts chapter number 10. And while you're turning to Acts chapter number 10, I made a statement last week that is extremely relevant to what we're going to be looking at here this morning. I made a statement that in Acts 2.38, when the Jews responded to Peter's preaching, they said, men and brethren, what should we do? Peter said, repent and be baptized, every one of you, in the name of Jesus, for the remission of sins, and ye shall receive the gift of the Holy Ghost. His answer, or the invitation, if you will, was repent and be baptized. By the time you get to Acts chapter number 16, and verse 30 and verse 31, you've got a Gentile, the Philippian jailer, who asked the Apostle Paul the question, Sirs, what must I do to be saved? Paul said, believe on the Lord Jesus Christ and thou shalt be saved. Now, a little bit later, after he believed on Christ and was saved, Paul took him, and by the way, his entire family heard the gospel and got saved. Isn't that a blessing? Now, that's not a promise that if you get saved, everybody in your family will get saved. But in this particular context, Paul, uh, being a man of God, he must have knew that that's what God was going to do. But this, this man, he accepted Christ. He believed on him. His whole house believed on him. And then afterward, they went out and were baptized. But the baptism in water took place after the spiritual baptism took place in his heart in which he and his family 
The moment they believed on Jesus Christ, they were immersed into the body of Christ. It was a spiritual, invisible transaction that took place. They didn't see it. They didn't feel it. They didn't get wet, but they got in, praise the Lord. And afterward, they were baptized in water, and that was an outward picture of what God had done on the inside. But obviously, Acts 2.38 to Acts 16.31, something, something's changed. Something has transitioned. And what we're going to find here this morning is that what had happened was progressive revelation. When the apostles, right after Pentecost, the Bible says that they continued steadfastly in the apostles' doctrine. So the doctrine that they understood was the doctrine that Jesus had taught them. When Jesus was teaching them, he was telling them about the gospel of the kingdom. The kingdom is a 1,000-year rule and reign of Jesus Christ here on this earth. And so the Jew was looking for a king and a kingdom. And that was the good news that Peter and all of the other apostles were preaching. But the Jews did not receive Jesus as their Messiah, as their king, or as their savior. They, they rejected him. They said, crucify him. God gave them numerous opportunities early on in the book of Acts. Peter preached in Acts 2. Peter preached in Acts 3. Of course, Stephen shows up in Acts chapter number 7, and he lays out to, to that congregation the entire history of the Jew. And when he gets to the end of it, he says, you blew it. You crucified your Messiah. And instead of responding the way that they, the other crowd did to Peter and said, what do we do? Instead, the Bible says they gnashed upon him with their teeth and they ended up stoning Stephen and martyring him, killing him. Why? Just because he told them that Jesus was their savior and king and they crucified him. He told them the truth. They killed him. And so as the book of Acts goes on, God continually is giving the Jew another opportunity to repent and to receive Jesus. They continually reject and reject and reject. And that brings us to Acts chapter number 10. And look with me in verse number 34. Acts 10 and verse number 34. Then Peter opened his mouth and said, Of a truth I perceive that God is no respecter of persons. But in every nation he that feareth him and worketh righteousness is accepted with him. The word which God sent unto the children of Israel preaching peace by Jesus Christ, he is Lord of all. Now let me pause here just for a moment and explain what's going on. Peter has received a vision from the Lord. And in this vision, there is a sheet that is uh, knit with all four corners. And inside of that sheet is all kinds of unclean animals that the Jews were forbidden to eat. And the Holy Spirit says to Peter, rise, slay, and eat. And Peter's like, no, uh, not so, Lord. I've never eaten any unclean animal. I've never eaten anything that the Scripture says is unclean. And God says to Peter, what I've cleansed, don't call it unclean or, unco or, or common. 
And so God gives him a, a second repeat of that. And, uh, you know, Peter never would actually do what the Holy Spirit said to do. He never did try to kill those beasts in, his, in this vision. But God also gave a vision to a man by the name of Cornelius, who is a Gentile. He's a Gentile, but he's also a believer in the God of the Jews. And he was a good man. He prayed to God continually. He gave of his money to help with Jewish causes. And the Holy Spirit told Cornelius, I want you to send to Joppa for a man named Simon Peter. He's lodging with Simon that's a tanner and uh, I want you to send for him and have him come and tell you words that you need to hear. Now, obviously, I'm paraphrasing this. So let's pick up where we left off. Verse 37, Peter says, That word I say, ye know which was published throughout all Judea and began from Galilee after the baptism which John preached, how God anointed Jesus of Nazareth with the Holy Ghost and with power, who went about doing good and healing all that were oppressed of the devil, for God was with him. And we are witnesses of all things which he did, both in the land of the Jews and in Jerusalem, whom they slew and hanged on a tree. Him God raised up the third day and showed him openly. Now, i got to hit the pause button once again. Regardless of where we're at in the book of Acts, whether it's Acts 2.38, whether it's Acts 16, the common denominator that you find in the messages, even though there is a kingdom emphasis early on in the book of Acts, you will still find mention of the death, the burial, and the resurrection of Jesus Christ. And according to 1 Corinthians 15, the death, burial, and resurrection of Jesus Christ is the gospel by which men are saved. And so Peter is making sure that he's telling Cornelius about Jesus being crucified and then being resurrected on the third day. Verse number 41, not to all the people, but unto witnesses chosen before of God, even to us who did eat and drink with him after he rose from the dead. And he commanded us to preach unto the people and to testify that it is he which was ordained of God to be the judge of the quick and the dead. That would be the living and the dead. To him give all the prophets witness that through his name, whosoever believeth in him shall receive remission of sins. While Peter yet spake these words, the Holy Ghost fell on them which heard the word. And they of the circumcision which believed were astonished. Now the circumcision here is a reference to the Jews that were present. When Peter went to preach to Cornelius, a Gentile... Peter took some Jews with him. And so these Jews, the circumcision, which believed, they were astonished. They, they couldn't believe that the Holy Spirit had come down upon this Gentile. And it says, as many as came with Peter, because that on the Gentiles also was poured out the gift of the Holy Ghost. Now watch verse 46. For they heard them speak with tongues and magnify God. Now this is similar 
to what happened in Acts chapter 2, or excuse me, Acts chapter number 1, there at Pentecost, when the disciples were gathered together, the Holy Spirit comes in, the sound of a rushing wind, and He descended upon them, and they began to speak with tongues. Now, the tongues in early on in the book of Acts was not a bunch of gibberish, folks. It wasn't blah, 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 blah. Everyone that heard the apostles speaking in tongues, they heard them in their own native language. That's right there in the Word of God, folks. And so here we have Gentiles. This is the first Gentiles that received the Holy Ghost. This is the first Gentiles that spoke in tongues. But listen, let me just throw this in. You can study this out for yourself. You will not find a single place in the Word of God where tongues are being spoken in that there is not a Jewish person present. Now, there's a really important reason for that. The Bible says that the Jews require a sign, but the Greeks seek after wisdom. That's a distinguishing difference between Jews and Gentiles. And then Paul said to the church at Corinth, he says, Wherefore, tongues are for a sign, not to them that believe, but for them that believe not. And so this was still, there were still signs that were going on because of the Jewish emphasis in the early church. Now notice here in verse number 47, Can any man forbid water that these should not be baptized? which have received the Holy Ghost as well as we. Do you know that Romans chapter number 8 says, If any man have not the Spirit of Christ, he is none of his. So these Gentiles, obviously, they got baptized after they received the Holy Ghost, and the Holy Ghost is the salvation that took place in the heart, folks. It's amazing. Remember I told you earlier in this study that rightly dividing the word of truth, distinguishing the difference between Jews and Gentiles in church of God is absolute vital to our doctrinal understanding. And if we don't rightly divide the difference between the church and the Jew, we are going to be so messed up in doctrinal and practical uh, areas in the Christian life. And so these Gentiles are the first to be saved. Now, look at at, uh, the book of Acts, chapter number 11, and we're going to start seeing the beginning. So far, we've got a wonderful story of Cornelius getting saved. And the disciples are amazed. They are, I mean, wow, they can't believe this is happening. But they are rejoicing in what God did for Cornelius and all those that were present but it hadn't really sunk in, how's this going to affect us? But it created a controversy that's going to last. I believe the controversy is still going on today. Every now and then I'll turn on a local uh, local radio broadcast that's got religious programming, and I will see that there are Christian churches that still haven't rightly divided the word of truth and distinguished the difference between the church and the Jew. So a lot of controversy began in Acts chapter number 10. Look with me at Acts 11, verse number 1. And the apostles and brethren that were in Judea 
heard that the Gentiles had also received the word of God. And when Peter was come up to Jerusalem, they that were of the circumcision, you remember who we're talking about here, these are Jews. In this case, these are Jewish believers in Christ, but they're still considered the circumcision. It says when they uh, they were of the circumcision, contended with him, saying, Thou wentest in to men uncircumcised, and didst eat with them. But Peter rehearsed the matter from the beginning, and expounded it by order unto them, saying. Now we're going to see what he said here in just a moment. But let's think about who Peter is. I guarantee you that just like Peter had a hard time obeying the Lord when that vision of unclean animals came down, it's like, no, I've, I've never done that. I'm not gonna, I can't do that, Lord. After Cornelius gets saved, don't you know that before Peter gets back to Jerusalem and these of the circumcision come out and confront him, don't you know he was kind of sweating, wringing his hands just a little bit? What, what am I gonna do? We know that Peter, a great man of God, a great leader, that he had a weakness that he cared about what people thought of him. Remember the crucifixion when he denied the Lord just because, I mean, even cursed because a a young maid, he was worried about what she thought of him. This is part of Peter's personality. And you know what? Uh, This is a good opportunity for me to remind all of us that every single one of us have strengths and weaknesses. And usually... Our strength is also our weakness. It's just right on the flip side. If you are a strong leader, for leaders to be out front, they've got to, they've got to, they got to have something that's driving them. And sometimes that same thing that's driving them also makes them weak in another area in life. There are some people that are a little bit more laid back and passive. Well, there are certainly weaknesses that go with that. Every personality type has a strength with a corresponding weakness. Peter was no different. All right, so now we uh, skip down here to verse number 12 of Acts 11. He says, And the Spirit bade me go with them, Nothing doubting. Moreover, these six brethren accompanied me, and we entered into the man's house. And he showed us how he had seen an angel in his house, which stood and said unto him, Send men to Joppa, and call for Simon, whose surname is Peter, who shall tell thee words whereby thou and all thy house shall be saved. And as I began to speak, the Holy Ghost fell on them, as on us at the beginning. So Peter here is making a connection between what happened in Cornelius' house and what happened in that upper room at Pentecost when the Holy Spirit came down on all of the disciples when they were gathering. He said just the same thing happened to them that happened to us. Verse number 16 This is extremely important. Pay attention to verse 16. Peter said, Then remembered I the word of the Lord, how that he said, John indeed baptized with water, but ye shall be baptized with the Holy Ghost. 
Now, how about that? Peter is experiencing progressive revelation. Now, what Peter was preaching and what he told the people to do in Acts 2.38 was not wrong. For the time when God was still offering a kingdom to the Jews... Peter didn't understand what God was getting ready to do. And so we don't have a change in dispensation per se. What we have is in Acts 2.38, Peter is looking at the gospel message and it looks like this. By the time he gets to Acts chapter number 10 and Acts chapter number 11, now he's seeing a much bigger picture, some details and some broadness of what God is doing and is going to do, all of a sudden it starts dawning on Peter, wait a minute, I know what I'm seeing here. This is what Jesus told us when he was still alive. It's just Peter couldn't have understood it in Acts chapter number two because it wasn't time for the Holy Spirit to reveal it as of yet. Folks, even though God knew that the Jews would reject Jesus and that he would open up salvation to the Gentiles, God's offer to the Jew for a kingdom, he was not patronizing them. He wasn't just going the motions through the motions. It was a legitimate offer. And that's why I believe personally that the details of doctrine of the mystery of this church age, God didn't reveal it until after he had given the Jew every possible opportunity to repent and acknowledge that Christ was indeed their Messiah and Savior. And so Peter explains here what the Holy Ghost had revealed to him, uh, some things that uh, they didn't understand, and so obviously... The controversy has been created, and then we're going to see that this controversy, even though Paul, excuse me, even though Peter rehearsed this, those that were listening to him seemed to be satisfied here in Acts chapter number 11. There were other Jews of the circumcision that didn't understand Peter's explanation, and so this controversy is going to be extended to other believers there in Jerusalem. Go to Acts chapter number 15 with me. Acts chapter 15. Here we're going we're to see that this controversy is extended. And um, going to have to do a little bit more reading here in order to get a full understanding of what's going on. Acts 15 and verse number 1. And certain men which came down from Judea taught the brethren and said, Except ye be circumcised after the manner of Moses, ye cannot be saved. Now, these were believers in Jesus. These were Jewish believers. But basically what they're saying is that in order for you to believe in Jesus and get saved, you first have to be circumcised and become a Jew. Verse number two, when therefore Paul and Barnabas had no small dissension and disputation with them, they determined that Paul and Barnabas and certain other of them should go up to Jerusalem unto the apostles and elders about this question. 
And being brought on their way by the church, they passed through Phenis and Samaria, declaring the conversion of the Gentiles, and they caused great joy unto all the brethren. And when they were come to Jerusalem, they were received of the church and of the apostles and elders, and they declared all things that God had done with them. But there arose up certain of the sect of the Pharisees which believed, saying, that it was needful to circumcise them and to command them to keep the law of Moses. And the apostles and elders came together for to consider of this matter. And when there had been much disputing, Peter rose up and said unto them, Men and brethren, ye know how that a good while ago God made choice among us that the Gentiles by my mouth should hear the word of the gospel and believe. And God, which knoweth the hearts, bear them witness, giving them the Holy Ghost, even as he did unto us, and put no difference between us and them, purifying their hearts by faith. Now, therefore, why tempt ye God to put a yoke upon the neck of the disciples, which neither our fathers nor we were able to bear? But we believe, watch this in verse 11, we believe that through the grace of the Lord Jesus Christ, we shall be saved even as they. Peter is making it clear that it is not keeping the commandments of Moses that gets a person saved. Verse 12, then all the multitude kept silence and gave audience to Barnabas and Paul, declaring what miracles and wonders God had wrought among the Gentiles by them. Notice the signs and wonders to try to prove to the Jew what God was doing among the Gentiles. Signs and wonders have always been essential for the Jews to believe that something is of God. And after they had held their peace, James answered, saying, Men and brethren, hearken unto me. Simeon hath declared how God at the first did visit the Gentiles to take out of them a people for his name. And to this agree the words of the prophets, as it is written, After this, I will return and will build again the tabernacle of David, which is fallen down, and I will build again the ruins thereof, and I will set it up, that the residue of men might seek after the Lord, and all the Gentiles upon whom my name is called, saith the Lord, who doth all these things. Known unto God are all his works from the beginning of the world. Wherefore, my sentence is that we trouble not them which... From among the Gentiles are turned to God, but that we write unto them that they abstain from pollutions of idols, and from fornication, and from things strangled, and from blood. For Moses of old time hath in every city them that preach him being read in the synagogues every Sabbath day. Then it pleased the apostles and elders with the whole church to send chosen men of their own company to Antioch with Paul and Barnabas, namely Judas, surnamed Barsabas, and Silas, chief men among the brethren. And they wrote letters by them after this manner, the apostles and elders and brethren send greeting unto the brethren which are of the Gentiles in Antioch and Syria and Cilicia. For as much as we have heard that certain which went out from us have troubled you with words, subverting your souls, saying, ye must be circumcised and keep the law, to whom we gave no such commandment. It seemed good unto us, being assembled with one accord, to send chosen men unto you with our beloved Barnabas and Paul, 
men that have hazarded their lives for the name of our Lord Jesus Christ. We have sent, therefore, Judas and Silas, who shall also tell you the same things by mouth. For it seemed good to the Holy Ghost and to us to lay upon you no greater burden than these necessary things, that ye abstain from meats offered to idols, and from blood, and from things strangled, and from fornication, from which if ye keep yourselves, ye shall do well, fare ye well. So when they were dismissed, they came to Antioch, and when they had gathered the multitude together, they delivered the epistle, which when they had read, they rejoiced for the consolation. Folks, this controversy, we see here that this deals with the issue of works. Listen, circumcision, keeping the law of Moses, these were all works that the Old Testament Jew had to do in order to be saved. These works for salvation or to keep their salvation were settled here in Acts 15 in this council that took place in Jerusalem. All right, who settled it? Well, first of all, in verse 2, 4, 6, and 22, we find that the apostles and the elders settled the question. In verse 7 through 11, we see that Simon Peter settles the question of works for salvation. In verse 2, 12, 22, and 25, we find that Barnabas and Paul settle the question about works for salvation. In verses 13 through 21, we see that James settles the question. And by the way, this is James, the Lord's brother, who also shows up in Galatians 1 and Galatians chapter number 2. And then we find in verse 22 that the whole church agrees with what's going on in this council. And then, of course, the most important thing in verse number 28 They said, it seemed good unto us and the Holy Ghost. So obviously, the Holy Spirit of God early on in the church is using the apostles and these holy men of God in order to help formulate early church doctrine. You know what I think is amazing, folks? I think it's amazing that they could have a difference of such a vital nature as salvation... I mean, you've got Jewish people that they have been passionate about keeping the law. It has been at the root and the heart of their entire life to keep that law. And yet they're able to come together as believers in Jesus and they were able to come to a conclusion. They were able to find the mind of God. That just literally, to be honest with you, blows my mind based on my experience dealing with Christians over doctrinal matters. You you know what happens today when you have a disagreement? People just leave and go find another church. You You know what really frosts me? Is that more often than not, they never actually deal with the difference. They never do say what the real reason is. They just throw out some kind of a self-righteous smokescreen. But you know, it's amazing here that these disciples were able to sit down. Yes, they had disputing. They were arguing. But they weren't arguing out of pride. They were arguing trying to find the mind of God. What is right? What is true? They were more 
worried about what's true than they were worried about who was right. I remember sitting in a meeting, a deacon's meeting years ago when I was a young man and serving as a deacon, and a practical issue came up about marriage and standards and weddings and so forth. And I remember what I had thought and what I'd been taught, and I remember making a statement in that meeting. And, you know, the, 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 my pastor, he, he brought out some things there that I hadn't really thought about. And I remember sitting there in that meeting and just kind of hanging my head and going, wow, you know, I, I think that we should all have some strong convictions, don't you? But, but I recognized at that moment among other men, and, and listen, I didn't care whether I was right, I didn't care what everybody thought of me, but I remember thinking, wow, have I been self-righteous or what? And I remember just bowing my head and saying, Lord, forgive me. And I began to weep and I thought, you know what? I, I, I had this, I had this clear cut black and white, uh, controversy all nailed in my mind, but I was thinking in my little box and I wasn't even thinking about the rest of scripture. I wasn't thinking about its effect on people. All I cared about was being right. And you know what? If, what, what is needed in the church today is a desire for doctrinal purity. You know, that's the sad part. Most people really don't leave a church because of doctrinal impurity. They usually leave. That becomes sometimes the smokescreen, but usually they read, they leave because of some other petty reason and they don't want that to be known because then people would think that they're petty. But these disciples were amazing in that everybody they could be disputing, and when it was all said and done, you know what they did? They worked through it. People didn't storm out. People didn't threaten. People didn't get, they didn't get full of pride and arrogance and mean-spiritedness. They simply were speaking their mind, and the Holy Spirit took their sincerity and their desire for truth and the Holy Spirit just put it all together and they started seeing, ah, now we see what the Holy Ghost is trying to say to us. You know, we, we miss out on so much of what the Holy Spirit wants to say to us here in modern times because of our pride and because of our selfishness. What an amazing, amazing thing. And so it's clear here that works are not necessary for salvation. But I tell you, if, if you notice here that there were a handful of things that they said that the Gentiles still need to be mindful of. They need to abstain from pollutions of idols. They don't need to be eating things that have been strangled. They, need to, they, they don't need to be eating the blood and they need to abstain from fornication. Now, does that mean that to the Gentiles that everything else goes? Does that mean that as a saved Gentile that I can tell a lie because it's not one of those things? Does that mean that I can go murder somebody because it's not on that list? Well, let's back up here for a minute and let's recognize the fact that the issue at hand, they're talking about their testimony. Look with me at uh, verse number 22 once again of Acts 11. 
it says, excuse me, verse 21 is what I want to show you. It says, For Moses of old time hath in every city them that preach him being read in the synagogues every Sabbath day. You know what the men here, the disciples are saying? That the Gentiles need to be mindful of these, this handful of things because there's Jews all over the place. And it becomes an issue not of salvation, but rather these things become an issue of testimony. I mean, if a Gentile says that he's saved and he's committing fornication or if he's, if he's drinking blood, you know what the Jews are going to think? How can you say that you're saved and you act like a heathen? Now, these were all issues in their culture. But you know what? There are things in modern culture that are just as equivalent. You know, the world looks at the average Christian today and the average Christian says, yeah, I'm saved, I'm on my way to heaven, but they live like a heathen. You know, the world looks at that and they just, you know, they're smarter than the deceived Christian. I guarantee you that the world looks at the social drinking believer and just kind of just grins. It's like, <laughs> they don't have respect for the person. They know that alcohol is the devil's drink. They know it. Down deep, they know it. And whenever a person says that he's saved and he partakes in the same thing that the heathen partake in, then the lost Gentiles either look at that with disrespect, but down deep it's kind of like they're happy because now they're down to my level and now there's no conviction. I don't have to worry. And that's why there's such a loss of conviction and repentance in modern Christianity today is because Christians, too many Christians don't live that much differently from the heathen that we're supposed to be reaching. Now, I don't have time to take you there this morning, but in Acts 16 and verse number 3, well, i got time to show you this. In Acts 16, verse number 3, Paul is taking Timothy around the Jews. And it says in verse 3, him, speaking of Timothy, who, by the way, his dad was a Greek, he grew up in a Gentile home. His mom was Jew, but it says, him would Paul have to go forth with him and took and circumcised him because of the Jews which were in those quarters, for they all knew that his father was a Greek. Now, this is interesting because circumcision is not essential for salvation. But obviously, there was a testimony in mind here that these lost Jews that didn't understand, they're not even going to let Timothy around them unless he is first circumcised. And so Paul and Timothy looked at this, and Timothy was willing to do that just so that he could have a testimony and a witness among those lost Jewish people. You know, it's, it's kind of interesting. Here Timothy would go through that for his witness, and some people won't stand out in the heat or the rain for an hour to try to win people to Christ. And isn't that sad? Big difference there. But you know, in Galatians chapter number two, in verses one through four, Titus, who was also a Gentile, Titus was not going to be circumcised. 
And you know the difference? The difference was that Timothy was going to go and preach Christ to a bunch of Jews that were not part of this controversy. But in Galatians chapter number 2, the controversy is circumcision. And you've got Jewish believers that are saying you have to be circumcised. The situation and circumstances are totally different. And Titus says, no, I'm not going to do that. And you know the reason being is because his testimony would have been confusing. Those Jews that were around would have assumed that Titus is caving into their demands that you have to be circumcised in order to be saved. And so Titus says, nothing doing. I'm not going to participate in that because it's not necessary. Both of these situations, the number one thing at hand was glorifying the Lord Jesus Christ. Never was it an issue of, well, I'm right and they're wrong. If we will stay humble and keep Christ at the center, then we can get through our disagreements. The relationship of saved Gentiles to the law has been established. This controversy in Acts 15 has made it clear But the relationship of saved Jews to the law still lingers. Now let me repeat that because this is, we're we're winding down here this morning. This is a very important truth. The relationship of saved Gentiles to the law has been established. It's not necessary for salvation But there are some things that Gentiles need to keep in mind by way of testimony. Now the Jews, on the other hand, now the the Jews, they're already circumcised. They're already keeping the law for the most part before they accept Christ. And so the relationship of them to their their law, what the way that they were living, has yet to be established. It's still lingering. Turn to Acts chapter number 21 with me. Now we talk about a controversy. We talk about a controversy extended in Acts 15. In Acts chapter number 21, we're going to see a controversy that's still lingering today. Acts 21, look with me at verse number 15. It says, and after those days, we took up our carriages and went up to Jerusalem. Then went with us also certain of the disciples of Caesarea and brought with them one nason of Cyprus, an old disciple with whom we should lodge. And when we were come to Jerusalem, the brethren received us gladly. And the day following, Paul went in with us unto James and the elders were present. And when he had saluted them, he declared particularly what things God had wrought among the Gentiles by his ministry. And when they heard it, they glorified the Lord and said unto him, Thou seest, brother, how many thousands of Jews which are there are which believe, and they are all zealous of the law. Now put yourself in this, in, in this setting. They're saying, look, we got thousands of Jewish believers that have believed in Christ, but they're still really, really zealous of the law. All right, verse 21, and they are informed of thee 
that thou teachest all the Jews which are among the Gentiles to forsake Moses, saying that they ought not to circumcise their children, neither to walk after the customs. This is what they're accusing Paul of preaching to the dispersed Jews among the Gentiles. Verse 22, what is it therefore? The multitude must needs come together, for they will hear that thou art come. Do therefore this, that we may say to thee, we have four men which have a vow on them. Them take and purify thyself with them, and be at charges with them, that they may shave their heads, and all may know that those things whereof they were informed concerning thee are nothing, but that thou thyself also walkest orderly and keepest the law. All right, so what are they saying, Paul? They're, they're saying that you're teaching all of the Jews that they don't have, they can forsake Moses. They don't even have to circumcise their children. Let's show them that that's a false accusation. All right, look at verse 25. As touching the Gentiles which believe, we have written and concluded that they observe no such thing, save only that they keep themselves from things offered to idols and from blood and from strangled and from fornication. Now watch verse 26 closely here. Then Paul took the men and the next day purifying himself with them, entered into the temple to signify the accomplishing of the days of purification until that an offering should be offered for every one of them. You know what we find that Paul did? Paul did exactly what they suggested that he do. He is making it clear that he is not telling the Jewish believers that they need to forsake the covenant that God made with their fathers. Now, he's not saying that the law is necessary for salvation, but he is not telling them that they should forsake the law of Moses. Why? Because that was a covenant that God had made with Abraham and his descendants. Now, comparing Paul's behavior to the doctrine he clearly set forth, we can reasonably deduce that the Jew had to be conscious of works for a testimony and not salvation just as the Gentile did. It certainly appears to me that the Jews are not being taught to stop circumcising their children and keeping the law, at least the, the uh, testimony uh, aspect of the law. Now, we will see next week the difference between the covenants and the testaments. The new covenant has been offered to the Jew, but will not take force until it is received nationally. Consider Hebrews 8, verse number 13, where the Bible says, "...in that he saith a new covenant, he hath made the first old. Now that which decayeth and waxeth old is ready to vanish away." Listen, the old covenant that God made with the descendants of Abraham, it is decaying and it is ready. It is waxed old. It's ready to vanish away, but it's not going to be completely gone until they receive that new covenant. Now listen, I admit uh, without any fear of contradiction that the things that we have looked at here today, they were controversial from day one. They will always be controversial because it, listen, sadly most people do not rightly divide the word of truth. They lump the church and the Jew together 
They say that we are under the, the, the covenants that God made with Israel, and that is what creates the doctrinal and the practical uh, confusion that is so prominent in Christianity today. But having said that, let us set aside the controversy for just the last few minutes of this service, and in conclusion, let's ask ourselves the question, what do I need to know today? What is absolutely essential for me right here and right now? In 1 Corinthians 7, verse number 19, Paul says to a Gentile church, he says, circumcision is nothing and uncircumcision is nothing but the keeping of the commandments of God. Hey, if you are a Jewish person, if you're a descendant of Abraham, there is still a commandment from God to circumcise your children. But we've got to divide the difference that in this day and age, it does not bring or keep a person's salvation. It's simply a testimony. That's why Paul says it's nothing but the keeping of the commandments of God. God, Paul has already made clear that we are not saved by keeping the commandments of God. We are saved by the grace of the Lord Jesus Christ. In Acts 15 and verse number 11, but we believe that through the grace of the Lord Jesus Christ, we shall be saved even as they. Jew, Gentile, it doesn't matter. In this time period, this dispensation, we are all saved by the grace of God. For the law came by Moses, John chapter number 1, but grace and truth came by Jesus Christ. You talk about a division. You talk about a dividing line. Jesus was a dispensationalist. <laughs> Boy, that'll frost some people. <laughs> I have no problem with that whatsoever. And then Galatians 5, verse number 6. What do we need to know for today? Paul says, for in Jesus Christ, neither circumcision availeth anything, nor uncircumcision, but faith which worketh by love. The controversy of the relationship of the Jew to the law will not be completely solved until Israel repents nationally and receives Jesus Christ as their Messiah and becomes the recipients of the blessings of the new covenant. God said, I'm making a new covenant with them. I'm going to remember their sins no more. I'm going to put my laws into their hearts and in their minds. And we're going to see next week that, listen, the Jews rejecting Jesus, it opened up salvation to us. We ought to be thankful for that. But one of these days, that salvation is going back to the Jews as a nation, and it is going to be a glorious time on planet earth. Listen, if the Jews rejecting Christ would bring us this much of a blessing, can you imagine what it's going to be like on planet earth when God's chosen people receive Jesus Christ as their Messiah? We've not yet seen the glory of salvation like it's going to be at that day when Israel repents and receives and acknowledges Jesus Christ. That is the glory that he sought from day one, and that is the glory that he deserves. And praise the Lord, it's the glory he is going to get someday. In the meantime, I'm glad that I can personally give him glory 
by believing on him by faith that works by love and make him my personal savior. And even though I'm a lost Gentile, I can become part of the blessings of faith that God gave to our father Abraham and we can get in on those spiritual blessings. What a joy it is to be saved and to know the Lord.